This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. rejoice clouds and thick darkness surround him righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side his lightning lights up the world the earth sees and trembles the mountains melt like wax before the Lord before the Lord of all the earth The heavens proclaim His righteousness and all peoples will see His glory. Oh, God. 
Our text today is found in 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, verses 8 through 17. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word as we prepare to go into the second message in our series, This Means War. And what you find written there reads in this fashion. Now, the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As we speak this morning to the subject, do you see what he sees? Do you see what he, God, sees? One of my favorite songs at Christmas time is, Do You Hear What I Hear? Because it's a song of worship as well as witness. It's a song of worship because it's letting the listener know without a shadow of a doubt that the artist that sings the song understands just who God is. Yet at the same time, it's a song of witness because in the song, a story is being told about the first chapter of what's gonna go on to be the greatest story ever told. And the beautiful thing about an epic story especially in Hollywood today, is that inevitably there's a franchise. And a franchise is a step beyond a sequel. While a sequel may give you one copy, two copies, maybe three copies as continuations of the original story, a franchise is unlimited in number. It's unlimited in scope. It can go a million different ways and all tie back to the foundational story, which as long as it ties back to a root in the foundational story, is relevant. And what God desires us to do is he desires us to understand that just like in the song, do you hear what I hear is both a worship and a witness. The question in this time of warfare of do you see what I see is both a worship of what God is doing supernaturally, as well as a witness of just who God is in the midst of our warfare. Church, more than ever before, we're up against an enemy that I can't say is a foe that we've never seen before because the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. I submit to you that it's a foe that is using tactics, the likes of which 
we've never seen before in magnitude, in intensity, and in, in degree of being lethal. But I'm here to let you know whatever the enemy seeks to throw at us, we can rest assured that victory is ours as long as we align our sight with God's vision. Amen. We've got to understand that like in the text, the, the, the servant woke up and saw troops all around. But in the midst of seeing troops all around, he got a word from the Lord through the man of God that there's no need to worry. Because remember, we're part of God's army. And when a good soldier doesn't know what to do, a good soldier goes to his commander. And if the commander doesn't know, that commander, if he's a good soldier or she's a good soldier, goes to their commander. And it goes up the chain until ultimately, if the joint chiefs don't know what to do, they go to the commander in chief because the commander in chief has been bestowed the honor because he has a degree of wisdom and knowledge in man's eyes to make decisions that are infallible. How much more can we as children of the most high God go to our divine commander in chief, go to the king of kings and lord of lords, go to the God, the great I am and ask for direction and be confident in knowing that God is giving us all the direction that we need to assuredly have victory. Church, we're in warfare right now and the clarion call went forth last week when the question was asked, are we going to stand around all day or are we going to fight? Because the enemy's made the declaration that he wants to fight. And we've made the declaration like David did when he ran towards Goliath. Satan, this means war because the lives of so many and too many are at stake. So we have to understand that it's critical that we align our sight with God's vision. And we do that by first knowing God's plan. Amen. We've got to know God's plan. And when I say no, I don't mean have a casual uh, 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 knowledge of it. I don't mean have a, a, a social acquaintance with it. I mean know it intimately to the point that you'll stand for God and that plan if everybody else falls away. Now, in our text here in verses 8 through 13, the king of Syria's plan was to capture Elisha, who knew all his secrets. So that no matter how great Elisha's knowledge might be, he wouldn't be free to inform Israel's king. Now, like King Ben-Hadad, who was a king of Syria at this time, the enemy strives to execute his plans. And in executing his plan, he does so with the intent of placing the individual that's the target of his plan in a state of bondage. That's critical for us to understand because today the enemy would love nothing more but to put us in spiritual bondage. In warfare, church, there are two things that happen that decrease the number in the army. That's casualties and captives. And the enemy doesn't care which one we fall into categorically. If he had his way, he'd love for all of us to be casualties. But we know that that's not the case because the word lets us know that we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to put us in bondage by putting out these plans that are filled with false evidence that appears real to get us in a state of fear. When God desires us to fully allow his instruction to help us achieve victory. 
In other words, the enemy sends fear and what God wants us to do when the fear comes is to stand in faith and believe that God knows the plan. Now, in contrast to what the king of Syria would want to do in our lives and in contrast to the fear that the, that the enemy would love to have us feel, Elijah gave us an object lesson in faith under fire. Elijah, in contrast in our text here, received supernatural revelation. And he uses supernatural revelation to let Jehoram know the towns that the king of Syria planned to attack. Jehoram was the king of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. The enemy had set a trap and thought that he had this thing sewn up and wrapped up and tied up and tangled up so much so that he just knew that if enough threats and curses went forth, if enough reputation went out, if enough word got sent out, if enough wind got blown out of what's coming, that God's people would cave under the pressure. And some did begin to waver a little bit as we see a little bit later, but, but the man of God, look at this. The man of God stood because he knew something, glory. He knew something that the enemy didn't know. He knew that while the enemy was trying to figure it out, that God had already worked it out because God is the author and finisher of our faith. When all Satan is, is the author of confusion. Now, Jehoram took the proper precautions. Once he understood God's plan, he took the proper precautions and appropriately fortified those towns so as to frustrate the king of Syria's plan. See, the enemy tries to sneak up on us. But like I said in the message last week, when you're in tune with God and when you have both sight and vision, nothing sneaks up on you because your sight allows you to see in the natural because your sight line is always moving. But the vision that you have allows you to tap into the supernatural when the Lord prompts you to. And we move by faith because we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's kind of like having an all-terrain vehicle on steroids. Me personally, I equate them with like those duck apparatuses that the Navy initially used in wartime, but now you can go to the Wisconsin Dells or any place where there's a recreational body of water as part of the amusement park and ride in them. And the thing about the duck, the duck, like the animal of the duck, which God is awesome, the duck is comfortable on land. It's got wheels to roll around on land. And just when you get to a shoreline and you think that you're boxed in, you have no place else to go. When the first time it, it happened to me, I freaked out because we got to a hill at the Dells. And, and instead of slowing down, the tour guy kept talking and the person driving uh, sped up. And as he sped up, I was like, oh, no, we're going in. We're going to drown. But a funny thing happened when that duck hit the water. It adapted to its surroundings because it was equipped with catch this something on the inside. It had the capacity to adapt to its new environment and feel just as at home in the water as it was on the land. So our tour continued and took on a whole new dimension because we were able 
to see things, to see areas, to see pieces of land, to see areas that were beautiful in one scope, to be able to see it from a whole different perspective, a whole different plane, a whole different look at it. And that's what having sight and vision allows us to do, beloved. It allows us to see God's hand at work from all angles so we can see God's perspective. We can see what God sees. We can see the way out when it seems that there's no way. When other people have given up, God has given us the super natural ability to tap into a way when there is no way through him and by faith and that frustrates the enemy that gives the enemy fits because the enemy can't destroy what God has built the enemy can't tear down what God has built up even when he tried to do it with Jesus Jesus said destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up because the enemy has no power as it pertains to God. And like Jehoram, what God desires us to understand is that his plan for our lives are much more sound and much more productive for us than the enemy's plans for our lives. So like Jehoram, God desires us to understand and execute his plan for our lives, knowing that his plan is indeed the grand plan. When you're working with a subcontractor, a subcontractor, when you're building a house or working on a building, has the capacity to give different individuals a piece of the plan. And they might have, one might have the plumbing schematics, one might have the electrical schematics, one might have the, the, the carpentry schematics, one might have the landscaping schematics, and they're able to do all that they can do, but they don't have the grand plan. They just have a part of the plan, and the part of the plan that they get, because inevitably it happens, when, when, the, when the contractor's handing out the subcontractor responsibilities, there's always one subcontractor that gets stuck with a piece that seems like it doesn't make sense. They get stuck with a piece where they don't see how it fits in. They get stuck with a piece that they think is a booby prize piece. But because the, the, the main contractor has the grand plan, he can see how that piece that seems uncomely, that piece that seems non-glamorous, that piece that doesn't seem sexy, that piece that seems like it doesn't even belong is a critical piece in the grand plan. God has you and I positioned as critical pieces in his grand plan. That's why the enemy's trying so hard to knock us off, church. The enemy wants to knock us off so that God's grand plan can't be executed. But we know something that the enemy don't know. Or let me rephrase. Because we know something that the enemy does know, which is a driving force behind why he's doing what he's doing. We can walk in faith while the enemy scrambles in fear. The enemy scrambling in fear. Because he knows that all this stuff, all this authority, all this power, all this influence that he believes he has is false evidence in his own mind that is appearing real to him. He's what I call a legend in his own mind. While God is greater than a legend that transcends all time. Therefore, we must trust God's plan. And believe that he always has our best interests at heart. Now, everybody knows that one of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah 29 and 11. 
But what many people don't realize is that that's just the lead in. That's my my jumpstart scripture. But when I really want to get a good jolt to get my perspective back and get myself realizing that my job is first and foremost to know God's plan as a good soldier. I go through the whole thing because listen to what it says. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We all know that. But a lot of us don't know this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. It may not be attractive. That seasoning captivity is not sexy. That seasoning captivity is not comfortable. That seasoning captivity does not bring about praise and accolade. That seasoning captivity is hard. But we got to understand that God is calling us to weary not in well-doing because in due season, we'll reap if we faint not. Because as long as we're doing our part of the subcontracting work of winning souls that God has called us to do, God has a grand plan and he knows our end from our beginning. And he knows that as long as we stay on the path that he's laid out before us, and as long as our steps are ordered by him and we delight in his way, Victory is inevitable. It's inevitable for us. But we got to ask ourselves, do you see the grand plan that God sees for your life? Do you see the grand plan that God has in store for you? Do you see the great things that God has in store for you? Do you see the victories that God has in store for you? Do you see the increase that God has in store for you? Do you see what he see, sees for your life? Not only do we have to know God's plan? But secondly, we've got to trust God's man. Amen. And I'm using man in the biblical sense, man meaning mankind. We've got to trust God's appointed individual in that situation. Going back to my subcontracting illustration, Every subcontracting team has a foreman of that team. They got a point person. And that point person is the one who understands the plan within the plan. The point person is the one that would be in corporate America, the equivalent of a middle manager that manages that area, but then has to go back and report what's being done and get their marching orders from senior leadership. That's us. That's us that have said yes to God. We're the gatekeepers. We're the points of light. We're the individuals that are the four men and four women in situations that God speaks through to make a difference in the lives of other people. Now, in our text here, and we're in verses 14 through 16 of 2 Kings 6, in our text here, and in stark contrast to the order of the day as it pertains to dealing with enemies, King Benadad sent a ginormous force out there. He sent the whole army out there. He sent the whole shebang. He sent horses. He sent chariots. He sent all the bells and whistles, the banner carriers, everybody out there. When in reality, it could have just been a mission that he could have sent a random small raiding party out for. 
Why did he do that? He did that for appearance. He did that for intimidation. He did that to root that fear in to get us to the point of being frustrated and looking around at our surroundings and wondering how did I get here? Like the song says by the, the group in, in, in the 80s, you know, you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? God, how did I get in this situation? We may find ourselves like the servant in, in the verse when he said, as I paraphrase, Master, what should we do? I just came out to get the paper. I just came out to get our little bottle of milk. I just came out to get a breath of fresh air. I just came out to greet the sun. And when I walked out the front door, my tunic was in a bunch because all I see, as far as I can see, every way I look is enemy. All I see is that we're surrounded. I see horses. I see chariots. I see all kinds of stuff that's coming for us. So I'm coming to you, Mr. Foreman. I'm coming to you, Elisha, the man of God. What should we do, master? What do we do? Because I don't know what to do. Because the servant is teaching us a valuable lesson here. If we allow fear to take root in the midst of frustration, what we've done is create the atmosphere for fanaticism. And when fanaticism is created, that means anything goes because fanaticism is driven by impulse and impulse keeps us making decisions that are contrary to God because they're flesh driven. And the Bible tells us that our flesh is at war with our spirit and the enemy would love nothing more than to implement the age old adage in warfare of divide and conquer. If the enemy can get us divided and fighting against each other, if the enemy can get us divided and fighting within the camp, if the enemy can get us divided and have us fighting within ourselves, a house divided against itself, the word says, cannot and will not stand. So the enemy's doing all that he can to keep us divided and to keep us on edge and to keep us looking our own separate directions and to keep us so frustrated that we forget to fully allow God to intercede in order for us to have victory in situations. We've got to understand that the situation is bigger than us. We can't trust ourselves. We can't be left to our own devices because if we're left to our own devices and that fear kicks in and mixes in with that frustration, fanaticism is going to happen and that triggers stuff like having people drink a whole bunch of poison saying that God's waiting on the other side. That triggers stuff like, like people barring themselves up in a place like Waco saying we ain't coming out and they wind up all being burned up. Fanaticism starts crazy stuff that's contrary to God. And what the enemy would love to do in our lives is the same thing that Ben-Hadad did in this portion of our text in surrounding Elisha and the servant with overkill, making us feel that we're encircled with seemingly insurmountable forces, making us feel like God has left us and we've been left overwhelmed and looking for answers, making us feel like we have no place to go, making us feel like we don't know what to do. And like we said last week, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Take the cue from Elijah in response 
to this seemingly insurmountable situation. These seemingly insurmountable forces. Because there's a basic principle in physics that an irresistible force, when an irresistible force meets an immovable object, something's got to give. The irresistible force of the enemy trying to press in on us when it hits the immovable object of us being steadfast in our faith in God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's going to be an impact and something's got to move. This is the response that we have in the face of these seemingly insurmountable forces. Look at Elijah's response. Elijah's response encouraged his servants to look beyond their sight and tap into God's vision. The first thing Elisha said, if I, as I paraphrase, look, don't fear. I don't need you to accept that false evidence that appears real. I need you to drop that bootleg intel. I need you to remember who it is that we serve. I need you to remember the plan that he has for your life, the plan that he has of to prosper you and not harm you, to bring you to a future and a hope. In order to get there now, we've got to do like it says in that verse. Now we've got to seek him. Now you've got to do what he says do. And since I'm the foreman on this project, you've got to trust that I've been in communication with my manager. I've been in communication with my senior leadership. And my senior leadership has given me insight based on the divine intel that he has that he's downloaded into me so all you've got to do is stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord don't be afraid but I need you to understand and, and, and trust that there are more of us than there are of them don't try to see it with your sight I need you to tap into God's vision by faith because when you tap into God's vision by faith you can see these things like I see them because I, I, I can visualize what you see, but I see what he sees. And what he sees is more of, them, more of us than there are of them. What he sees is victory while you're screaming victimization. What he sees is overcoming when you think that we're about to get overwhelmed. Elisha here was referring to God's heavenly army. And that heavenly army encircled the natural army that surrounded them and provided them with the strength that they needed to win their battle and be empowered witnesses. And what God seeks to do, beloved, is the same for us today as we seek to see what God sees and allow him to empower us for his glory. This thing is not about us. This thing is not about doing it our way. This thing is not about doing something that makes us feel good or that makes us look good. This is about being used by God to be a blessing to others so that he's glorified in the midst of our impossibility. Because it's when things are impossible for us that God steps in and does the impossible. So that 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 the world views is impossible like changing the hearts of individuals that are dead set on destroying anything that's kingdom focused become possible. This is why church, we've got to trust God's message in the heat of battle to give us the acumen that we need to be victorious. 
And when a person has acumen, that means that they have the levels of everything needed to do what needs to be done and not just barely do it, but do it big. Do it with style. Do it with panache. Do it as only you can do it. We do these things as only God can do it because God is moving in us and through us. And even in the times of trial and even in the times of trouble, we can stand on the promises of God as David proclaimed in Psalm 27. When he said, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Because in trusting God's man, trusting God's point person, God's point person is always going to point us back to God. So that we can see what God sees. We can see the one act that's going to change the whole complexion of the story. Which leads us to our last point. That not only must we know God's plan and, and trust God's man, but, but most importantly, we need to witness God's hand. Amen. We all know where this ended. In verse 17, the prayer was prayed that Lord open his eyes, him being the servant, that he might see. That he might be empowered to tap into the vision, that his sight might be enhanced by your vision, that you might give him the, the, the virtual reality, the immersive experience. To truly see everything on all the different planes when I put on the, the virtual reality glasses with my phone in it. The screen on my phone don't look like the screen on my phone when it's in that VR machine. The screen on my phone is in there and through the projection and through the angles that are created by having the full armor on to see this thing in its fullness. I can look around. I can look up. I can look down and, and I feel like I'm there because no matter where I look, it's relative to what's going on. When we have on the full armor of God, whether it's faith, whether it's warfare, whether it's preparation, whether it's the gospel, whatever it is, we've got everything that we need from the blessed breastplate of righteousness to the helmet of faith, to the sword of the spirit, to having our feet prepared with the word, whatever it is that we've got, we've got truth girded around our Lord's. We've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Whatever it is we need, we have and we're prepared. We're prepared for a battle. But not only a battle, we're prepared for victory because we're ready to witness God's hand because a good military person doesn't move out until the commander says charge. And in this moment, when we go to verse 17 and there's an epitaph for this, 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 this text, you just plug in 18 too. It said that when his eyes were open, that the servant saw that it, while it looked like they were surrounded, God, in fact, had the enemy surrounded. So we were covered. But at the same time that the servant saw, God struck the eyes of the ones that were his enemies with blindness and they wound up turning on one another. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts, the Bible declares, are not our thoughts. 
God is calling us to understand and realize that all I need you to see is my hand. I'm not asking you to look at me full on because if you look at me full on, you'll drop dead. The Old Testament says it that even Moses with his level of commitment could only look at God when he asked to see him. God said, I can't let you see my face. I'll just let you see my glory. God's, God desires to show us his glory. If we're willing to ask God, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory in me. Show me your glory in what you desire me to do. Show me your glory in my portion of the ministry and the work that you have for me to do. Show me your glory in my words. Show me your glory in my actions. Show me your glory. Show me how I'm a reflection of you. Show me how to be a living witness of you. Show me God. How, what you see in my life. Show me, God, what you see in me. Why would you save me? You saved me because John 3, 16 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. God loved you and I so much that he sent his son to die. He loves you and I so much because his essence is in us, church. He loves you and I so much because he put his hands on us and created us in his image and his likeness. He loves you and I so much because he knows what he has prepared for us. He knows the work that we can do. He knows the victories that we're going to win. He knows the damage that we can do to the kingdom of darkness. And he will desires us more than ever before to tap into the vision, to live our lives as both a worship and a witness to him. So that every time somebody comes along and wants to give us accolades, we say, uh-uh, to God be the glory, because I want you to see what I see. If you could only see the majesty that I see, if you could only see the love that I see, if you could only see the victory that I see, if you could only see the master that I see, if you could only see what I see, you too would worship God in spirit and in truth. Do you see what he sees, church? Because what he sees, is something that's fit for eternity. Amen. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. 
Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.